You're listening to Historically Speaking here on Sin Nation with Alex and Andrew. I'm Alex, and joined with me, as always, is Andrew. Hello. Um, and this week we're talking about crime and punishment. In Finally. The... <laughs> Finally. <laughs> um, in Melbourne. Um, so... To do some research, we stopped by the old Melbourne jail, so we've got a bit of, like, information yeah. from there that we learnt that, like, was kind of new to us. For you, it was research. For me, I was actually arrested. Yeah. But, well, that's beside the point. Yeah, it is interesting. Despite my attempt jail. to lock Andrew back up, he uh, escaped. <laughs> I escaped, yeah. yeah. I'm now there was an actual attempt, arrest. actually. Like, I would like to point out, I actually tried. <laughs> that's um, it. Yeah. And He's I too actually clever. tried and succeeded. Um, yeah. The false spoon, that's the way to get out. But, yes, we went to the Melbourne jail. It's an interesting place, isn't it? Yeah, um... It's very interesting. It's quite gruesome. Yeah. But a lot of... Uh, it's a prison. It's not... It's one of the more gruesome prisons. Like, there's yeah. some prisons that are... Yeah, it's quite nice. And then there's other prisons which are... But this one is... I forgot how dark it was. I haven't been there since I was a yeah, child. It and was... it is seriously... There's no light there. No. Even on a hot, cloudless day like today, it was still pitch black in there. And and to think of the sort of... the, the, and, the and so cramped as well. Yeah. In fact, it was actually brighter in the cells because there were windows in there, most yeah. of them. But that's a different point. Um, but yes, anyway, this is historically speaking where we talk about all aspects of Melbourneian history. Um, and this week we are focusing on the sort of, uh, we'll be talking a little bit about different figures, not just from, uh, when people say crime and punishment, they often talk about the crime. But we're yeah. gonna, we are going to be talking about the policemen. That, yeah, that, the policemen and, and all kinds of, like, a lot of other things in between. Yeah, yeah. And the way that some of the punishments were, were insane, some of them were just wacky. Some of them lasted a lot longer than I thought they would have. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The last flogging, for instance, happened in 18, 1958. Yeah, which is a lot more recent than I would have figured. Yeah. Um, they've got that. They've got the triangle on display <laughs> at the old Melbourne jail, yeah. which is unnerving. And what's worse is that thing is actually called the Melbourne Triangle. So is it? It's named after us. Oh man! But um, but all over the all over the world, when people are getting lashed, they go, "Oh no, don't bring out the Melbourne Triangle." But why? That's that's so weird. In Australian accents. Yeah, it is. It's it is a very it is a very. Uh, there are a lot of weird things about Australian about about crime punishment. Yeah. Um, we should probably. Well, it, well, we should go back to the very. Uh, should we start with crime and punishment? Do you think, Alex? Um, let's start with the jail, considering it's still yeah. fresh in our mind. Good idea. What did uh, so? The jail was first built in eighteen forty-one. It was the first block, and that was even for the time was considered pretty pretty poorly built and pretty. Uh, despicable conditions. Actually, one of the things I would like to point out is that the current site of the old Melbourne jail is, like, not even half of what it used to be. No. Some of it's been taken over by RMIT, yeah. especially the um, yard next to it is RMIT. Um, the yard next to it, and it, if you look at the ground, you can see where they've marked off where there used to be walls and where the old prison hospital, the jail hospital was. Yeah. Um... But there used to be the hospital there. There's that in that yard is also the Kelly Gate, where Kelly passed through in order to go to the gallows. Yeah, um, and where a lot of his family stood to watch him. Yeah, watch him on the, on the gallows. Yeah. <coughs> there's also there's also the um, that used to be the, the, the there's also signs of the fact it was the garage and the leading through to the watchtower. So the, that still remains, and I think it was the was it the second cell block. The, the, yeah, the one that was built it, after the first one and still remains. Yeah, it's the second cell block that still remains. The yeah. first one is currently demo was demolished. Mm. And so was the female section of the prison. Mm. And some of them, like the chapel and the old watchtower, are actually, actually officers at RMIT. They don't just own RMIT. They don't just own the jail, but they actually yeah. still work out of it. So you, you, can, you can lock in admin staff and run away with the key. Yeah. Um, also, some of it's... Yeah, some of it's become part of the prison... 
Yeah. Um, the bit that I was talking about where the jail hospital was was also the for a while was a garage for the police officers considering Russell Street's only across the road that was where they set up their garages in the, like the 1920s which is interesting because that was one of the first um, they were probably we were one of the first precincts in the, in the world to get cars or certainly that was the first police station in Melbourne to get cars and yet they they had it literally in the in the prison oh, well it wasn't the prison at that point they so when they put the when they started up the garage the prison had stopped being in use okay it was like the prison had stopped being in use, and they'd buried up, they'd dug out all the dug out all the remains in which they found Ned Kelly's, but didn't realise. Yeah. And then buried it in a mass grave in Pentridge. Yeah. Um. Fun fact. <laughs> um, so, yeah. In fact, we should talk about Pent- Pentridge. Is another prison which is in some ways probably has a worse reputation and probably saw more. Yeah. Pe- like the old Melbourne jail stopped being used like early 19th, 20th century. Yeah. Got reused as a POW like holding facility. Yeah. But other than that, was like untouched until like the 70s where they started using it as a penal museum. Yeah. Whereas, um, the pre- whereas Pentridge was still continued up until the 80s, I think, didn't it? Early 90s, I yeah, think. Really? Um, yeah, it'd been used for so long and it held. That was the place that held guys like Chopper Reed. Um. um. People like uh, people Julian like Knight. Julian Knight, the people, the really, the really psychologically, it was. I think it was at first an, an asylum, and then they started taking on. Oh, that was just D Block. There was there was a whole bunch of others. There was like the like the thing about Pentridge was that you had low to maximum um, prisoners in there. Yeah. So they had um, so they had a big mix. I, I for some reason I thought it was actually an asylum at first. Um, uh, no. And then they turned into a um, they turned into a, a, just a general prison after that. But yeah. It was always originally a mental asylum, but it is they had different blocks. In fact, I've actually got the list here of divisions at Pentridge. There was a short and long. There was A block, which was just long term prisoners of good behaviour. Um, there was B block, which was long term behaviour of bad bad behaviour uh, prisoners. There was C, which were vagabonds and short term prisoners. Um, Ned Kelly was actually in prison there. That's I suppose when that was basically people the drop ins, or essentially like almost like custody. There were remand prisoners, the hospital in Block E, uh, another remand in Block F, the, all the way up to psychiatric, the psychiatric ward in Ward G, high security, um, young offenders, and um, and 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 more. So that was it was yeah. It was a, Kate, yeah, like some of the some of the hardest were like in there at once, and it was yeah bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, interesting fact. Uh, so when they were trying to rediscover where the bur- bodies were reburied after the um, after they were dug out at the old Melbourne oh, jail, yeah, um, they got where it was buried wrong. Yeah, because everybody remembered where Ronald Ryan was buried, but he was buried like nowhere near right. where they were, like everyone else was. He was buried in a in a cemetery, wasn't he? Yeah, I th- I think they might have moved him after after like. Yeah, <coughs> but like they'd sort of just put them there, but everyone had gotten the maps kind of wrong. Yeah, like their memories are wrong, and then they then they had to go back and map it out again and be like, oh wait, no, it was here. Yeah. So that's that. That is interesting. That's, yeah. Um, so that that was yeah. what, it took him a while it's, to find it. It's quite weird when you say about how Ned Kelly's uh, skull was thrown in a mass grave. That's interesting for two reasons. First, the fact that they had mass graves in the 19th century in of of, of 
of crown criminals. Oh uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a mass grave. Like it was. Like they were buried near the, where the hospital was. Yeah, yeah. But the issue was was that no one was sure who was who because there were no tombstones. No. And the names that were on the coffins were degraded. Were degraded. Yeah. yeah. So you can't be like, oh, this is that person. Where they were, where the workers bur- unburied people who they did find. Yeah. Um. Where where they did find they some of them they could knew they wrote the name of yeah but even then sometimes it wore off and stuff like that um so yeah it's a bit it's interesting for to say the least yeah it um it's it's um yeah it is interesting the whole the, the, when the burial of of, of prisoners as well is a, is a, is a fascinating aspect of it. Um, but the thing about the the, old, the other thing about the old Melbourne jail as well is it was sort of um, it was a bit of an experimental prison as well. They were sort of uh, that was that was they weren't exactly. I mean, it wasn't quite to the same degree of Port Arthur where they really were. That was set up almost like a model prison, and there were parts of that were, that were just totally first in the world. But but Melbourne old Melbourne jail was in some regards ahead of its time, not necessarily in good ways. No. But uh, but did did kind of it was really the first the hardest version of our modern prison system um, in some of the ways it had it, it, the way it sort of employed exercise yards and, yeah. and exercise schedules um, one of the interesting things about it is that it tried to follow the Pentonville model yeah which is What's that exactly? at, which is the prisoners all remain separate yeah. all the time yeah so like I'm here like I'm here I don't know who else is in the prison because we wear hoods yeah um which we, we should put one of those up on our Facebook page because they're an interesting yeah thing. Um, we, they, I wear hoods, um, and then I don't know who's around me because I can't recognize them unless you had like super distinctive eyes, but even then. You had to really look into the other person's eyes. So it actually created a lot of bonding between criminals. Yeah. Yeah, That whole thing was very weird because firstly, I mean, the guard, that means that if the criminal was committing an an offense in the prison, if they were doing something wrong, then the guards couldn't identify them either, but... Anyway, carry on. Yeah, so they had the um, Pentonville But all model. the yards were like a panopticon, mm. which is where, where like, say I'm in the centre. Yeah. I'm a guard, I'm in the centre, and it's all spread out around me. Um, if you've ever been in the dome reading room of the of the state library, <laughs> that's, that's basically a panopticon. It's yeah. inspired by it. It's the head librarian sits in the middle and all like the tables rotate outwards span outwards and yeah. that was a similar thing that they devised in the Pentonville model it's ingenious because one person in their own individual areas can't see anyone else they can see the person across yeah. but other than that they can't see no they can't even see the person across well because I guess there's a watchtower there yeah the watchtower's case, yeah. in the middle but they can but the person in the centre can see ten yeah, people can at see, once yeah like, you can see all I have to do is rotate slightly yeah. and I see them all yeah so that was that is an ingenious mode but even things like uh, just I guess when I said when it's like it's ahead of time a lot of people in in the early australian colonial prisons uh would they were basically public public works you know and they in, in tasmania and new south wales when they had convicts um they they put them to work on roads they were basically like holding camps for forced labor whereas in uh, melbourne melbourne jail was one of the first jails to hold prisoners that were just prisoners and they didn't they, yeah. unless they did outside curriculum or they did they, they were sort of in special circumstances they did work but that wasn't their main purpose. They weren't there to be used by the government. No, they were there as prisoners and as convicts, and 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 also they were they were largely people who've been who were born 
in Australia or had who, yeah. who weren't who weren't convicts in the first fleet. So yeah, who were or, like who had immigrated and then committed a crime and yeah, there were different types of um, there were different types of of prisoners in the old Melbourne jail. One of the interesting things I felt I saw was that the fact that they reused it as a POW prison. Yeah, yeah, in the forties. Yeah, the, it, it had been reused like temporarily, because like you can't put them with normal prisoners. No. Um, I don't get that. That that astounds me because the, I mean, presumably they made the conditions. They're not the nineteen forties were any great age of age of enlightenment, but at least I mean they would have there would have been better conditions in the nineteen forty prisons than they would have been in the eighteen nineties. And so did they have... I mean, surely they're modernised a bit. And also, they, they weren't treated like... Oh, no, they weren't treated... You've got to follow the Geneva Convention. Yeah, exactly. Um, although I was reading about one of the Americans who'd come and then turned out to be, like, a serial killer. Really? Yeah, he was, like... Attend, like, people kept getting strangled, and then they found out that he was the one doing it. In Melbourne? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, like, he is, he, like... <laughs> Because, like, some of the U.S. Uh-huh. servicemen ended up in Melbourne and he, then he started, like, strangling people. Yeah, yeah. This was in, like, 41. Yeah, and then when all the U.S. soldiers left, so did the strangling. No, he got caught. And, wow. Well, he got caught, and so then he ended up being hanged mm. due, to, due to his crimes. Makes sense. In, um, in Melbourne. Yeah. It, um, yeah, because they had to wait for permission from Roosevelt, though. Yeah, of course. Because you can't just... Can't just hang random members of your... No. It is. It's that is that is interesting. That whole. I mean, even just the fact that they had that was in the nineteen forties. That that means there may well be people alive who um who 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 stayed in the old Melbourne jail. There might be. There might be possibly prisoners of war from the forties. It's who, unlikely though. It is unlikely, but there's a slim chance. It makes it a lot more likely that they were there than before that. <sighs> yeah. Uh, we should talk about some of the famous people that have been held. We we're not going to talk about Ned Kelly. That's no. a disclaimer. Ned Kelly is this is a complete Ned Kelly free zone. If you want to see Ned Kelly, literally go anywhere else in Victoria. If you want to hear a uh, historical look at Ned Kelly, go to Glen Rowan. He's he's pretty much there. Ned Kelly did more for Glen Rowan's economy than anything else. Um, go, ask him about, <laughs> ask anyone who's rel- if they're related to Ned <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of them will say yes, but you can ask him one of his great 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 cousin on cousin twice thousandth removed anywhere in Victoria yeah and they'll, and they'll yeah or you can ask about Ned Kelly this, this Unless show they're near the gold fields and then it's Peter Layla or some of the Eureka <laughs> stockade exactly yeah, yeah if you're not related to Peter Layla you're related to Ned Kelly and in some cases you're both um but um, but it's interesting. They they, they and even at the jail, half of the jail is like dead cat. And it's fair enough. I mean, he was a very influential figure. But anyway, here today we're going to talk about some other um, some other famous people, such as uh, such as the the story of the person who was allegedly, or well, there's rumours anyway, that he was Jack the Ripper. Um, oh, yeah, Frederick Deeming. Frederick Deeming. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Frederick. Uh, 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 yes. Sorry, his name name escapes me slightly. Um, but he was he was. Um, among the um, he was among the people that was he, the story behind him is that he left England just at the time of the Jack the Ripper killings were finishing, moved to Windsor in Melbourne, and then after that there were a number of I don't think it was quite as many as Jack the Ripper I think there were two women murdered, you know not dissimilar style to Jack the Ripper, and then um, and then they took in this prisoner at 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 uh, Old Melbourne Jail and I think he actually died in prison just of natural causes. But um, he was he stayed he stayed at the old There's lots of sort of fiddly little bits of evidence that think that make people think he's <coughs> Jack the Ripper. Like apparently his handwriting that he wrote for 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 some ticket of leave or wrote for some document in in Australia looks a lot like the handwriting that Jack the Ripper sent to the sent to yeah. the um, to police. And yeah, I mean it's a fairly there's it's a lot of it is circumstantial, but it does make you wonder. 
Um, also held at uh, also held at Old Melbourne Jail, people like Squizzy Taylor. What's you, the story? What's your story behind Squizzy Taylor? Um, you said a fascinating thing about him wanting to get back in. Well, no, that wasn't the Old Melbourne Jail. That was the Watch House that was next to it. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure right, by yeah. the time Squizzy Taylor was like getting arrested, he was. Um, by the time he was getting arrested, yeah, he, the prison was sort of shut down. Yeah. Um, I'm but sure. I think he did stay there briefly, though. Oh, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one of the things that he did was he, he escaped from the watch house and then knocked on the door to be let back in, <laughs> which apparently, according to my tour guide... Um, he had that many enemies. Yeah, because, like, this was like he was getting hunted. You know, you had to, you had to like, be careful. Um, he was, like, you know... He had enemies, and that's what ended up being his un- undoing. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, he was... Oh, he was in the Melbourne jail at one stage. Yeah. Um, but he was I think only early. for a bit. He kind of gets the fame... You know, Underbelly tackled his later time when he was a really big star, but... When he was a star, he was really, he was a really notorious figure, but, but for many years he was just basically a petty criminal. Yeah, he kept escaping. He, he escaped from Melbourne jail. Yeah, and that reminds us, the last thing I wanted, the last story about Melbourne jail, which is quite amusing, is the Italian um, the Italian POW that escaped twice, I think. Yeah. Actually, he, no, sorry, he escaped, one, he escaped twice from different POW camps, but he did escape once from the old Melbourne jail by cutting bars in his in his windows. But how genius is this? They knew that he they'd circulate his photo around. They had a picture of all the POWs as they entered the jail. Um, he escaped from Old Melbourne Jail, but while he was being photographed on the way in, he gave his name as another inmate. Yeah. And so they went and when he escaped and they realised, they circulated an image of just some random prisoner. And that poor guy was, was, was hounded and arrested and, and chased. And meanwhile, he, I think, got worked as a fruit picker in Shepparton and a door-to-door salesman. Yeah. His name then, escapes me. Uh, Mildura, he got caught, though. Yeah. Um, um, and then he got caught again. Like, he kept escaping and then getting caught again. And then he was just returned. Yeah. And then by the then, by then the war war finished, and I think he just, yeah. Just yeah, that was, that, was, that was an interesting dude. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I found was interesting was the whole um, Colin Ross thing. He oh, was yeah. acquitted posthumously. Yeah, yeah. The only person, or at least the first person in the story... To be yeah. um, part, to be um, acquitted of murder. Yeah, yeah. Like, or pardoned after the after the death after penalty. The, after the death penalty. Which is kind of why I don't agree with it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not much you can do there. Um, and that's in, yeah. That that actually ties into something else we're going to talk about a, a, a murder that happened in Gun Alley, which is which could tie into many more episodes of Crime and Punishment. Oh. Yeah, Gun Alley in off Little Collins Street near the Queen Victoria Market. Or near the original part of the market, but uh, yeah, that is the old Melbourne Jail. Go and check it out; it's fantastic. Uh, it is, it, I think, it actually won best um, tour yeah, destination. It's, it's actually it's, it's a good place to check out. It's like I said, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah, and they have they haven't touched it in after all that all those years of being used as a camp and. There's restoration stuff. work's been done to it. Yeah, they're but not it, obvious though. No, no, it doesn't feel it. It feels pretty much like it did in the in the in the. In the in its in its eighty years of running, so that is definitely get on down the Old Melbourne Jail on Russell Street, um, opposite the police station. That whole area is a really nice little historical bundle of Melbourne crime. Yeah, because so, then there's the magistrates' court and yeah, and the watch house. Yeah, it's all it's all a very interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you if you love prisons and jail, then go there for your birthday. We're going to go to a quick song now, but uh, <laughs> don't give me that look. There might be people out there that do. Um, 
we're going to go to a quick song now, and you're going to hate me for it, but you can't go past. We should actually play this at the end of the, should play this at the end of the, um, of the show. Really, shouldn't it? It's actually, forget it. I've changed my mind. We're going to play that one at the end. It's a more climactic finishing song. Let's go with uh, this song instead. You're listening to Historically Speaking on Cination. Oh, don't forget, uh, where can people find us if they want to uh, You can find know? us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash historically speaking radio. Nice. Here's a historically speaking fun fact. The first full-length narrative film was the story of the Kelling Gang, released in 1906. It was shot in and around Melbourne. You can listen to Historically Speaking, Fridays 5pm to 6pm on Sin Nation. And that was the last mention of Ned Kelly you'll ever hear on the show again. Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, probably. It was quite weird, though, the story of the Kelly Gang. We talked about that in one of the other episodes. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. The first film shot in Australia. There's a whole room dedicated to it at the Old Melbourne Jail. Yeah, there was... The same yeah. as at the Southern Cross. I was like, why is this here? <laughs> it, was, it was like prison, 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 film. Prison, prison. Yeah, um, and I'm like, I... I don't have no idea what this has to do with... <laughs> it was like, it's a Melbourne institution, it'll do. We don't have any space over at the Salvation Army place, can you take it? Yeah, I just found it really weird and out of place. Yeah. Like, it just felt we needed to put this somewhere. <laughs> like, the National Trust was like, oh, we've got a building with rooms. <laughs> yeah, <this, coughs> historical associations in Melbourne can just rent a, rent a room at the old Melbourne jail to put stuff up in. Yeah. But um, anyway, that's good. That was uh, this is historically speaking. That was read about it by Midnight Oil. I chose that one because they say the word prison. <laughs> People too scared to go to prison, so that's sort of relevant. Mm. Um, we want to talk about do our segment. Where we look at a certain historical figure. Yeah. Who's the figure this week? I did last week. So it's your yeah. turn. Thank you. It is damn. It is. Uh, it is John Wren. Oh. Do you know John Wren? I think you were talking about him the other day, but I don't remember who he was. He was a uh, sort of gambling magnate. He was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He was influential. He was a, a mole in the Labor Party. He was a really um, just just basically the sort of person who had a finger in every pie. He was like he was like um, Fat Tony after Simpsons, but uh, in real life, yes. an incredible larger than life figure. Um, he was born. I think he was born in Australia. It, um, in in the nineteen in the eighteen in eighteen seventy one. He was born. Um, in Collingwood, so he was he grew up in Melbourne, although he was born to Irish parents, and his Irish heritage remained very, very close throughout his life. He was sort of often identified himself as an Irishman, um, and he and that sort of drove a lot of his decisions, business and crime related, throughout his whole life. He was also a staunch Catholic, um, and sort of which comes into it later as we'll get into it. His his influence of the Catholic the Catholic community in Melbourne was phenomenal and still has effects today. But essentially, what he's most famous for is the tote. Have you heard of the tote? Um, yeah, I think some of the bands I've, like, liked have had gigs there. Yeah, it's now a, it's now a establishment that sells certain refreshments that we can't mention on Sin. Um, but before that, but, which is ironic because it sort of always has been that. It is, it is now, an, it is now like a, 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 par, a bar in, in Collingwood. But it's, it was like a, it was like a, it was a basically this, this room that this, this, he ran, he, he ran, it bought as a tea shop. And, um, and... And at the back, he used to run like a little sort of crime, crime, a little like a little gambling house, essentially like a betting room. Yeah. And it was fa- it was illegal, but it was all fairly low key at first. Um, yeah, and it was like a, it was just basically he kind of he he um, he uh, he would he would just have you know it was kind of almost word of mouth. He, his friends would come over and they'd gamble and they they'd play games that weren't necessarily legal, like two up. Oh, yeah, it's not Australia. You can't no, play tour. No, exactly. Yeah. It was illegal for 364 days of the year. 
anyway, he um, and it just sort of expanded. He made so much money off it, and he was such an entrepreneurial type. His family was extremely poor growing up. Um, he's, he, oh, he's, sorry, you can. Sorry, I've sorry. It's Anzac Day is the day you play to up. Oh, damn it! Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Well, maybe Anzac Day. Will f- no, because we were going to play two up next week. Yeah, we'll play Anzac Day. Anzac Day, we might play some two up. Do you reckon we can get away with it next week? No, no, I don't want to, don't want to do that. <laughs> so just the, the studio, the police kicked down the studio, the door yeah. kicked down. <laughs> <laughs> you're playing two up. <laughs> so, oh, we, caught, we thought we heard the sound of two pennies tingling in the gutter. Um, but John, yeah, so that's, uh, uh, well, that was probably, that was really the only sport that and horse racing that they played. And he just, yeah, he's just a ga- and he d- just evolved over time. He's, he, he kind of was born out of this, born out of, I suppose, like a lot of, lot of people born in poverty, he kind of had this driving ambition to, to get it, to escape it no matter what. And he, and he, he did, he, he did ex- often illegal things to get out of it, mostly around relating to gambling, illegal gambling. But he's famous for building this tote. I should say, all this is known in, the, well, the most famous thing about him was he was made, he was the subject of the book Power Without Glory, which is a seminal piece of Australian literature. It was a bestseller. Frank Hardy, I'm sure everyone, at, half the people at school, have, half, 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 Gen Zs and Gen Ys of Gen Xs and Gen Ys have read it in school. Yeah, it was a really influential piece of writing. That was basically that was totally um, nakedly about John Wren. But anyway, he um, and the, a lot of the book focuses on the one event when he built this this essentially like a almost like a a fortress out of the back of his place. Talk about discreet, and um, would just have would just would, it would it just turn into like an enormous gambling house. And there was this one detective uh, that he was often sort of running against. There were a lot of a lot of detectives, but particularly um, this one, Thomas O'Callaghan, who was sort of desperate to um, desperate to, to to shut him down. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and so he kind of he they had this long running feud with with the detective, and it got to the point where he actually had his place raided and occupied by the police because he claimed the whole, his whole premise was that this, this gambling den just didn't exist. He pulled that old thing about how it was just a tea shop and there was no... <laughs> well, these people come in here just buying tea, you know? They, when they talk about, when they talk about the, the, the number one and the fifth, they're just talking about the, the, the chamomile they're buying. Yeah. Talking about how many, how many, what, how many tea bags they want. And the trifecta is just English, Irish, and Scottish English, Irish, and Melbourne breakfast. Um, anyway, they and so he was he was like, yeah. So he anyway, this place was raided, and the, he had, the idea was that if he had to, it was genius as this. How ingenious is this for early Melbourneian policing? The the story was he either had to um, he either had to uh, uh, like just ignore, let the police occupy his place and not be able to do any business, or he had to come forth and confront them about it and therefore claim ownership. So it was ingenious, but eventually they just left because it was a legal occupation of a premise, and he did own the tea shop legally. So yeah. they weren't, they couldn't. They eventually left, and then then just he got involved in politics, and he started. I think he mostly bribed people in the Labor Party, although he started to move into the Nationals. <laughs> um, yeah. Just went all over the place. Uh, some quite prominent uh, figures. In fact, I think one of the, including the uh, one who went on to become Prime Minister, uh, whose name. Escapes me. Who was the third Prime Minister of Australia? Oh, uh, the third. The third. The first one from Melbourne. Um, oh, uh, no, I'm going to have to look this up. It's not Deakin, is it? Might be Deakin. I think it was Deakin. Someone in the, someone in the early days of, of, uh, of Australian politics. And please let us know on Facebook at Historically Speaking Radio. 
forward slash Facebook forward slash historically speaking radio. Please let us know, like the page, and let us know anyway. You haven't got this wrong, but I think it was someone anyway. Anyway, and and, was and it John Watson might have been, might have been John Watson. I think. Do you, were you saying it was the first one from Melbourne? I think so. Or around the eight, around the nineteen tens and twenties. Um, tens and twenties. It or? might have been actually no. I think it was Billy Hughes. Now I think about it. <laughs> I don't know. It, I, I, I must confess, I, the, he, I need to read the, reread the book, and I can't find it anywhere here. I, that was, I've done, I've done research, and most, most of the research was relating to his gambling den. There's not much else on the rest of his career, although he did have huge influence in, in, um, in, in, uh, in, in the, in the, in the politics, and that's a lot of people say credit him with creating and strengthening the Labor Party as it is today. The Labor Party was founded only a few dec- a few years before he'd. Um, are you talking about James Scullin? Might be. Because I've looked up the novel and it's one of the characters. Oh, well, then it probably is James Scullin, yeah. James yeah. Scullin, ninth president, Prime Minister of Australia, 1929 to 1932. That sounds about right, yeah, yeah. Between the wars. He, um, and he, he, was, he was one of, yeah, he was someone who was paid heavily and influenced heavily and pressured heavily by John Wren. And between by doing that to so many oh, no. through peer pressure, he managed to get what else does it say? Oh no, he was he was sworn in two days before the Great Depression starts. <laughs> that's that's unfortunate, <coughs> isn't it? Um, but yeah, that's bad luck. And coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, I think so. <laughs> we'll have to disagree to agree to disagree. I th- I don't think like a <laughs> labour prime minister being sworn in has an effect on the Wall Street right. cash. That would be incredible. Yeah, to be fair, if he managed to cause a global financial crisis in two days, then that's almost impressive in its own right. Yep. But anyway, this anyway. so that's, I mean, that's I guess, the main, the crux of John Wren's story. And he, and he, he uh, after that, he sort of got involved, he got, became very involved in mining. He actually bought, uh, but this is, this is where it becomes interesting. This is where we see the most influence of his work today. He actually bought Flemington and started Flemington, I think. Or, or well, Flemington was there originally, but he he, I can't know exactly what which. He definitely opened one of the major horse races in Mel, horse racing courses in Melbourne. I can't remember if it's if it's Mooney Valley or Caulfield. And he and he, I did he did own Flemington for a while. Oh. Um, and he just t- totally changed, as well as various other small regional and interstate country racing tracks. He was obsessed with horse racing. He owned a he owned a Tats Lotto a Tats. He called it a Tats shop. I don't exactly know what that one. Presumably, it wasn't a tattoo parlour in the nineteen twenties. I think it was like a sort of news agents and upstairs he ran a business out of there in Collins Street um, but it was just a, just extraordinary the amount of the, the, the amount of influence that he had in that early 20s there's so much of Australian politics uh, he might have actually it might be the Mooney Valley one yeah established race courses of Richmond Ascot Vale and Sandown that sounds that, like there you go then yeah Ascot Vale because he Mooney yeah Valley. and he and he, um, he was from the northern suburbs as well so that makes sense and I think Caulfield's only relatively newish. Let's not look into that. Apparently, his family owns Festival Hall. Yes, that's the other thing as well. He started a festival oh. in 1915, I think, as a boxing ring originally. I went there for a gig the uh, last year. You're joking? Yeah. What was it like? I wasn't. I wasn't punch. I wasn't very boxingy. <laughs> it's a disappointing. I enjoyed really. my band and. Nice. Yeah. Were the band boxing at all? We were. No, the, the wombats. Oh, the wombats are good. Yeah, the Wombats are good. You should have said, it was a shame that, uh, yeah, I was going to say there's a band called The Boxers or something, isn't there? But there's not. No. Otherwise, that'd be a great pun. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, I didn't realise that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, he, um, so anyway, he, he did, uh, yeah, so yeah, he actually built Festival Hall. He built quite a few and other weird in, weird buildings around Melbourne that you wouldn't necessarily think associate with his kind of life. But really, uh, it's it, you can't, I mean, I can, descri- I can describe the dry facts, but... 
the bottom line is that and he doesn't he doesn't get credited much in society mainly because he was notorious yeah. criminal so probably right but not exactly credited but you don't people don't consider how much of an influence he had in early Australian early Melbourne politics the Labor Party wouldn't be nearly as strong as it was today nor would the Nationals in many ways um, and it was because of him that the whole the whole history of the early 20th century in Australian politics could have been different for John, without John Wren. A lot of the problems we have of gambling, a lot of the the fact that gambling is such a huge business in Australia and in Melbourne, it can be put down to John Wren. Um, the sort of and also and as well as other sports, he like like it says he got into boxing, which is why he built Fed Festival Hall. Um, and and then it was enough to make Frank Hardy's book about him, Power Without Glory, a bestseller. And then he sued him for for libel and he was charged with with libel that nearly landed him in 26 years of jail yeah don't don't defame people kids <laughs> the moral of this segment is never defame people because uh, Alex is always defaming people and it's so annoying it, I, I've got to go something I should tell you guys I'm not really supposed to tell you but Alex really really likes defaming people I saw him defaming someone the other day <laughs> <I don't. laughs> that's what they all say <laughs> Uh, so yeah, John Wren. Have a look at him. Read Power Without Glory. It's a great book. It's very dry. If you start now, you might finish it by this time next year. Uh, it's pretty okay, dense. It's one of those books. <laughs> so I originally was using it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 so long you could throw it through the window of the of the publisher who. What's that? Didn't the ABC make a TV series? Yeah, they did. Uh, okay, watch the TV series. Watch the TV series. Even that's probably longer. It's not bad. But yeah, John Wren. It's a, a very weird life and. When you can't talk about you can't talk about crime, and he never he never went to jail, and I don't think he was ever even arrested. Some of his colleagues were. There's even suspicions that he helped, um, he he assisted murder. Um, he definitely attempted a murder by throwing a bomb through the window of a former detective. And there's even words that he tried to in the in some 1924 or something I think just after the war. And there's also there's also suspicions that he he sort of led to the assassination of various rivals and. And um, and and what and he and he yeah and he was still influ- he was influential an influential underworld figure until the fifties from the eighteen nineties to the fifth to the nineteen fifties so John Wren we hmm. love him or hate him preferably hate him I'd recommend to do but nevertheless he's he still has his um he still has quite a quite a large part of Melbourne history to his name what a character interesting character yeah. now we've talked all about the criminals so far we've talked about the criminals how they were punished the prisons kind of uh, the kind of the 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 leery characters and and evil types that peruse Melbourne in the early days and later days but we probably should talk about the kind of force the good people that that stopped them in their tracks and did what they could to it's not the 21st of December, but that still was Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy. Ah. Um, you're listening to Historically Speaking here on Sin Nation. Uh, we're talking crime and punishment today. Um, so we've done, we've done the punishment, done a bit about crime, and now it's time to go to the bit in between with the police. Yeah, the um, other side. Not, not the band featuring Sting, no. Um, what were you talking about? <laughs> Victoria Police. Okay. Um... So, Victoria Police started... In 1840, there was their own police force with 12 constables. Right. Um, however, there was a lot of different organisations that sprang up, like yeah. different parts and... Um, but in 1853, Victoria Police was the first police organisation in Australia who merged all its entities into one organisation. So there was, uh, they were. They we're had... the only state with a chief commissioner of police. Okay. So what do other states do? They just have. 
So Northern Territory and ACT, due to the fact that their territory is not states, do not have their own police force. Oh, okay. They have the AFP. Oh, okay, and they just have um, the general... So there's no Northern Territory police. No, it's it's the it officiates the AFP, but like there's a subsidiary and all that. The ship, the the show, the show Territory Cops has been lying to us. They're not yeah. Territory Cops. Yeah, oh, well, the, well, the Northern Territory still. might. I'm not sure, but I definitely know the ACT doesn't. That's interesting. It's all AFP. So the the guys at the airport. Yeah. So they so but Victoria Victoria have, um, Victoria, Victoria have their own independent police force. Yeah, that, that includes um, yeah. So they, like, other things have commissioners, but we have a chief commissioner. Okay. When did you say we, when did you say we had 12 constables? Uh, 1840. That seems very early. By that stage, the European settlement was only four years old. Yeah. To 12, well, I suppose they came pretty fast, didn't they? Yeah, like... Poli- that's, that, was, that wasn't just police force, though. That was people in... Or was that actual policemen? That was 12 constables. So that was, was that just 12 people in general? Yeah, it was just 12 people. That's insanely low in that case. Yeah, um... But yeah, it's it's you're right. It's certainly interesting. Um, Crazy to think that there were twelve people, and of course, when the gold crush, rush came. But like at that stage, you it, like you like in the fact that like you don't have just a small town like one copper thing. Yeah. But yeah. like it's a new place, so you need more. If That's, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. And I mean, I thought of when I think of twelve constables, I think that was like. The ones in charge of each division. No, so they were like they're just twelve policemen. They're just twelve policemen in the city. Fair yeah. enough. That's that, in that case that seems very low, but I guess that makes. I guess there were, but like I say, it was a small country town at that stage. Yeah. And then when the gold rush came along in 1851, that they that the, the, they twelve policemen was barely enough of that beforehand, and then it became nowhere near enough. Yeah. Um, and in 1859, the first police build, buildings were on Russell Street Police Station site. Oh, right. That remained the headquarters until 77. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like they've definitely, you know, been there a while, been around a while. Um, but to be honest, all societies need police officers. Um, you know, mm. uh, there's been all kinds of stuff happening where like in, you know, they had, they were involved in, they supported the soldiers at the Eureka Stockade. Yeah, yeah. Um... However, after the stockade, um, they weren't exactly popular because no. of brutality. Um, That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, and then, so yeah, 1859 it was built. And then, you know, you've got the officers that were killed by the Kelly gang. Um, in 1888, there was the first Victoria Police Manual. Manual. Um, it was the first, first one. Someone oh. had written one. Like, here you go. Presumed by, written by a policeman. Yeah. Uh, just some Police officers were granted the right to vote in yeah. parliamentary elections the same year, in 1888. That's insane. Well, to be honest, like, before then, you had to be, like, a landowning yeah, white man, man basically. White man, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, that is, uh, so uh, you, as long as you're a policeman. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that. And, yeah, and so, yeah, okay, that does change things a bit. Makes it uh, marginally more fair. Um, 1899, the first Valor Award was issued. Who was that to? Uh, oh... I can't find that one. Um, it's interesting to talk about uh, it, when you, when you um, just on the subject of, of uh, um, Sergeant William Robinson Rogerson of the Armadale Police. Um, he was assaulted at, by two burglars and still managed to arrest them. 
he was also super popular. Nice. It was like a super popular thing, so they're like, all right. So they specifically got a medal created for him. Who was that? Um, William Rogerson. They, like the four, like officers, like like all right, we'll collect some money and then do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was wild, and but now they've got like a few medals. Yeah. Um. I know someone. Australia's only living George Cross recipient. Oh, okay. Was a member of the Victoria Police. I think still is a member of Victoria Police. Yeah. Um. Which is the um, highest medal you can be awarded for a civilian. Yeah, in the British Empire, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, was, who was that exactly? Um, I'm getting his name up now. Just when you do that, uh, that this seems like a good point to talk about um, about uh, the, the native police corps, which are indigenous people that were that were enlisted into the, in the Victorian police force, um, which is a very weird, very interesting sort of uh, dynamic that counts on that. And essentially, they were essentially they were they were groups of um, around seven or eight uh, native indigenous. Um, they, were, they were called native indigenous. Uh, 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 people who often worked with the government and worked as clerks or in in government departments, and they were they were when they showed an ability to to I suppose work like a policeman or or a strong tracking ability or or some other sort of um, some other ability that the white soldiers believed that they exhibited better that they would um, they would they would be in, they they would be listened to this native police corps unit. Uh, um, Constable Michael Kenneth Pratt of Victoria Police in 1978. Right, 1978. Yeah. He came to my school to talk. Wow. Yeah. Was he good? It was was interesting. Nice. Um, That's a pretty remarkable life to live. Yeah, he was he was the last one to receive the he was the last one to receive it. Yeah. Anyway, the um, the native courts were first uh, established in eighteen thirty seven, in October eighteen thirty seven, by Christoph Ludolf Johannes de Villiers was appointed the command of the first official native police troop um, from the station Narry Warren, um, Narry Narry Warren. Um, it was, uh, and then and then from then on, it was it, it was used. They were they were deployed all around Victoria, Jollymont, and Melbourne. Um, they were dissolved and they were dissolved and and dissipated and then regrouped for many for several decades just based on funding and and needs and for, and sort of practical reasons. But then eventually they were, they were made a a permanent part of the Victorian police in the eighteen forties, I believe. Um, and they were sort of they were they were extra, they don't of course you know like um like like so much indigenous achievement they don't get nearly as much attention as they deserve. But they really were some of the first police on the goldfields. Um, they were operating in in ridiculously harsh conditions. Yeah. Often, like the white officers as well. But they 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 um they sort of formed an extremely extremely interesting and 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 um fascinating really bond between between white society and indigenous society. basically being that line between criminal and between the um between the the criminal European society and the and the indigenous population. Um, so the, the that is definitely something that's interesting. I believe they have an exhibition at the police museum on yeah. the on the native the native um, the native police corps. So when you talk about early police in Melbourne, you really do have to, all across Australia they were formed. Yeah. Um, yeah. The native police corps were were something that definitely has to get a mention. Um, but yeah, so like in in the nineteen twenties, like females were allowed to become police officers. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Which seems like super early, as well as um, Victoria was the first place to get a radio yeah. installed. For police dispatch and things like that. Oh, well, no, the dispatchers actually ca- came in later. Oh. Um, the dispatch came in later, so before then they just had the radios, but they were doing Morse code. Okay. Um, but then they ha- then they built like the proper transmission like center, and then yeah. they got rid of the Morse code. So what were they used for originally? Just for, to give the police officers something to listen to in the car, music. No, <laughs> like to communicate with each other, but by Morse code. Okay. Like, oh, okay, fair enough. People yeah. knew Morse code. Exactly, they would have yeah. learnt it. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a radio operator. Yeah, and so that was just that wasn't uh, so it was was like a dispatch, but through Morse code yeah. instead of yeah, which would have just totally changed the way that. Um, and you said one of the first in the world. Yeah, they were the, the first in the world. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a bit that's of s- stuff about Victoria Police. Yeah, yeah. It is an interesting, um, it is a fascinating aspect of, of, of police, yeah. Um, that's, I think that is just about all of all all of everything we have to say about crime punishment. We'll go to a quick song and then we'll come back with the answers to last week's quiz yep. and also this week's crime punishment quiz. And please do let us know if we've um, if we if there's any bizarre crime punishment related stories about Melbourne's history you'd like to let us know. Please do let us know if we made a, a factual inaccuracy or if there's something we haven't quite got right because we do want to clarify it and make it make sure the information on this show is 100% viable or or uh, as close to the truth as it can be. So please feel free to, to message us on that. Or, as we said, just let us know if you enjoy the show, have any comments, or if you want to um, if you want to know about... If, if you have any other stories. We'll go to another quick song. Now, we were talking about in the break what, the, what other song related about police we should talk about, and then we realised the best way to play police-related music is to literally just play the police. <laughs> So here is, here is, why don't every breath you take by the police? 